0: Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor podcast. I'm Andrew Dick, an attorney with Hall Render, the largest healthcare-focused law firm in the country. Today, we'll be speaking with James Winchester, the lead financial analyst for CMAC Partners, a firm that works with physicians to maximize the value of their real estate investments. James has been with CMAC Partners for a number of years. Prior to joining CMAC Partners, he worked for a number of companies, including Siemens, We are going to talk about his role at CMAC, some of the issues faced by physicians that own real estate associated with their medical practice, and a couple of other items. James, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Andrew.
0: James, before we talk about your role at CMAC, let's talk about your background. Tell us where you're from, where you went to college, and uh, what you aspired to be.
1: Great. Well, I'm actually from the UK. I often get confused uh, for being Australian, which I think is probably because I'm starting to pick up some of the Orlando twang and I'm becoming this strange little hybrid. Um, But I am actually from London originally. Uh, I did my undergrad education in the UK. Um, I was actually uh, trained to be a mechanical engineer and decided that that was uh, not for me or perhaps it was the other way around and engineering decided that I wasn't for it. And then I decided that I would make a transition and I came over to uh, the U.S. for grad school uh, and went to a school down in Florida um, called Rollins College. And I decided I couldn't leave the palm trees and I'm still here today.
0: Terrific. So how did you ultimately end up at uh, CMAC Partners and then tell us about CMAQ in general and what its mission is?
1: So I was actually introduced to CMAQ by one of my uh, school uh, connections And I was kind of intrigued by them. They work in a very unique space. And I'd spent some time working at some larger organizations um, previously and decided I really wanted to work for a smaller organization where I could really be impactful to the bottom line. And uh, I was also interested in the fact that they serve clients the whole way through the U.S., even though they're based in Winter Park, Florida. Um, CMAC is an organization that was started around uh, 16 or 17 years ago now, and really had the the mission of assisting physician groups with their real estate financing. And it started off uh, with helping them with bond financing. And there was kind of a, a unique um, instrument that groups were able to capitalize on. And when the uh, financial crisis hit in 2008, those bonds became a liquid, And CMAP really had to pivot a little bit. And they were able to really create the same value for their clients but more using conventional financing with banks and, and uh, credit unions. I think the, the business has become even more interesting for me and one of the reasons why I was attracted to it uh, in recent years because it's changed and it's evolved ever so slightly where we realize that, that physician groups, um, a lot of them are struggling with the same issues across the country. And we've created a a bunch of solutions that use the financing, uh, and that financing can facilitate some structural changes within the way they operate the real estate. Um, And it's really become a value add when we're going through our process. So we're not only saving them money, but helping them structure it in a, a little bit more of a thoughtful way.
0: I like it. A uh, very narrow niche, and which which tells me that you and your colleagues can, can probably serve the physician clients very well because you're seeing some of the same issues over and over.
1: For sure. And we are really specialists in our space. We really only work with one uh, type of, of group, and that is independent physician practices that have or are thinking about real estate ownership.
0: Okay, got it. So as a financial analyst, tell us what you're doing on a day-to-day basis for some of these physician groups.
1: So so my role has really evolved into being quite client-facing. I have the the opportunity to travel around the country when it's safe to do so. It's been a little bit prohibited recently. And I really uh, see myself as uh, somebody that, that really tries to find out the objectives of the practice and the real estate what what are they trying to achieve and what issues may they be encountering at the moment and kind of as a byproduct we assist those groups with the real estate financing and save them save the money in doing so um, but really the primary driver a lot of the conversations that I have with groups are uh, the the issues that are inherent with the way that they've been set up historically.
0: So for example The docs may have set up a partnership or a limited liability company, and um, most practices evolve over time. Physicians are buying in and out, and sometimes the way it may have been set up initially um, may not have been optimized for really what they're trying to accomplish today. Is that, in a nutshell, what you're working through with the docs?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. With owner-occupied medical real estate, it's a little bit different from a traditional real estate investment. And there are some ways in which groups can really capitalize on their returns and reduce their risks uh, simply by the way that they structure their real estate. Because the, the, the real risk is determined by the credit quality of the operating entity that is occupying the building. And because that really is in control Um, Of the the owners of the building, of the physicians that own it, they can really, if they they, they have good alignment between the real estate and the practice, they can really maximize their uh, risk-adjusted return. And really, a lot of the conversations that we have is helping groups that have gone and entered into good real estate investments at the time, but those real estate investments have really strayed from the objectives of the practice. And suddenly they become a little bit more risky and the returns are not necessarily as good as what they could be if they looked at it from he- a holistic lens.
0: So let's just back up before we do a deep dive into how some of these partnerships and LLCs are are set up. Uh, talk about the 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 value of a physician group actually owning their real estate it sounds like you come in and oftentimes they they own their medical office building for example but do you also work with groups when they're thinking about either building a new building or um maybe maybe uh, investing in a new medical office building for their practice
1: we do and a lot of the conversations that we have are really helping groups understand what the risks are of them going into a new investment, how to mitigate those risks and what kind of return they're going to be uh, expecting to receive. And we're really big advocates of groups uh, investing in the real estate from which they operate um, for, for a number of reasons. I think they're both economic, uh, simply it's a really good risk adjusted return. Most of the groups that we work with, if the deal is structured correctly, they're able to earn cash on cash returns of uh, the the low to mid teens. And really, we see it as as very advantageous for the groups to be paying rent to themselves and building up their value over time rather than paying it to a third party. I think even more important than that, though, is the the non-economic factors, as we like to call them, um, and one of those is recruitment. For example, one thing that independent physician groups can really offer that a lot of their competitors can't is some of the ancillary services, such as the real estate, that are very attractive to new partners if they can do if they can enter affordably. Um, I think that. For a lot of groups, it can create glue within the partners that are involved in the real estate uh, and something that really binds them together as a group. Uh, And probably the the last thing is the ability to control the group's destiny. And a lot of the times having ownership within the building that the group's practice allows them to uh, make expansions if they decide that that's strategically important for the practice or have the ability to control the the lease that they're operating out of to maybe reduce their expenses or there, there are a number of different things that I think groups can take advantage of with real estate ownership that they don't have the opportunity to without it.
0: I think you hit on the two points that I've seen over my career, which is really, uh, um, you mentioned the glue that can keep a group together, which I think is right. Uh, and, and also the recruitment benefits of bringing in younger or, or newer physicians, I should say, into the practice. And it's it's a nice um, bonus for those docs to be able to buy into the real estate as well. That's something that many of the health systems can't offer when you're competing for newer physicians because the health systems typically don't allow physicians to invest in uh, real estate opportunities that the health system's undertaking. So I think you're exactly right. It can be also a a powerful wealth building tool for the physicians. Um, So when we talk about setting up a, a real estate company or a partnership, um, what what are the things you and your colleagues think about James when when kind of putting the deal together? If you could start from scratch,
1: we think that uh, f- firstly, probably the, the as I mentioned before, the alignment of the ownership of and the, of the practice and the real estate entity can be really important. We work with a lot of groups that when they first go into exploring whether they're going to invest in their real estate real estate they may have 50% of the physicians interested in participating we we think that that uh, is is not necessarily desirable and if we can increase that number and you may be in a situation where you can't get everybody involved but if you can get a solid amount of the the practice involved in the real estate it can be it can reduce some of the problems that are inherent along the way there are often conflicts of interest as you see the, uh, the diversion of those two ownership groups because it is an economic asset and uh, oftentimes it can be contentious if uh, rents are uh, set at certain levels or, or le- leases are uh, negotiated in certain ways that uh, are going to impact individuals within the group disproportionately because of that disparate ownership. So I'd say first and foremost, we're re- really looking to try and create that alignment. I think a lot of that becomes uh, really a- an education process. And if the if the transaction is put through uh, and structured in the correct way, a lot of the times it can be re- very desirable and that's not necessarily understood from the onset. So if we can really explain that, make it transparent, I think most of the groups that we work with feel pretty comfortable that they can get uh, the vast majority of, of physicians on board. I think alongside that, especially for new, new groups that are, are new to real estate, they may not be aware of some of the issues that come along the way of having a dyna- dynamic ownership group, which is very different from what we see from a traditional real estate investment where you have new partners coming in, and you need to be able to buy existing partners out. So we really look for structures and help groups through structures that make sense and are sustainable for as long as possible.
0: You hit on some really important points. Uh, The conflicts of interest that can exist is a big one. Uh, You're exactly right that if if, uh, only a handful of the physicians in the practice invest in the real estate company, there can be a number of conflicts when you go to negotiate the lease terms and, and negotiate renewals or talk about the future of the practice. So um, I think you're exactly right that alignment is huge. And to the extent that you could get all of the uh, physician partners in the practice to also invest in the real estate, I think that that would make um, the transaction much, much easier and uh, eliminate a number of conflicts. Um, so one of the issues you and I have talked about before is, is the, the buy-in and buy-out process for a number of these practice groups. And especially if it's, if it's a real estate partnership or company that's been around for a number of years and, um, you know, buying in can be very expensive for a newer physician that maybe doesn't have, uh, the, the capital to buy in or, or access to capital, Talk about that process, the buy-in and buy-out, and and some of the things you think about to to make sure it can work. Because if you're going to offer a new physician, for example, an opportunity to buy in, it's got to be uh, set up in a way that that it's it's truly an opportunity where that physician can um, uh, afford to buy in, and 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 maybe talk about that just a little bit, James.
1: You're absolutely right, and it generally occurs as the real estate investment matures. Most groups will look at kind of an 80% loan to value structure or thereabouts, maybe a little bit higher in some cases. And it therefore means that at the inception of a project, the partners are collectively having to come up with around 20% of the equity, maybe 15% of the equity um, based off of the financing that they're able to achieve. And what we see is as the real estate matures and that debt is paid down, and most of the time we're looking at buildings that are appreciating depending on the market that they're in, there becomes a widening um movement and a delta between the assets and liabilities that's increasing to the point where as you mentioned it can become not achievable for new partners to be able to buy in based off of the traditional way with which these buildings uh, are valued and we've seen groups where those buy-ins can be above a million dollars and you're looking at the physicians that are typically going to be the most highly leveraged because they're at that stage of their career where they may have student debt. They may be looking to make their first home purchases. And it's just a difficult conversation for a lot of groups uh, as that number goes up. And we certainly see for different groups that number um, th- that number can be different. And some are, are happy to uh, and don't see any problems uh, if the buy-in uh, is quite substantial relative to what other groups see, uh, and, and they can really struggle much earlier on in the process, we certainly recognise that as an issue. What a lot of groups, I think, don't uh, don't recognise, and, and I think that they they recognise the buy-in side much more quickly than they recognise the the other side, which can be equally problematic, and that's buying out partners because uh, especially as we're seeing a, an aging population and many of the physicians that have been working to build up their equity in these real estate investments are looking to leave the practice and therefore liquidate their shares in the real estate ownership there, there can often be a real struggle to be able to facilitate that process and especially if that buyout of those physicians is paid over a A short period of time and if there are a number of buyouts that are occurring at the same time without adequate buy-ins occurring um, at at the same time it can be a real drain on returns and we've seen many groups that have gone from a a nicely uh, yielding uh, investment where they're they're getting uh, reasonable returns to uh, actually having to put money into the real estate uh, in order to be able to buy some of their partners out which is which is not necessarily desirable
0: all good points uh, so talk about the the algorithm that that you and your team has developed called true course um, I, I was intrigued by that when we talked before it it sounds like it's a program that helps predict timing of buy-in and buy out of of partners in in the real estate company or in the partnership, uh, maybe just give us an overview of how that works and and what it is.
1: For sure, and really the the genesis of True Course came from really witnessing what most groups do when they start a new real estate entity, or even groups with an existing real estate entity will. Manufacture an operating agreement, and and they will put a certain buy-in and buy-out parameter in there, and they will decide to value their building, and they have these sequence of events that occur uh, for them to get to each of these. And the reality uh, of the situation is typically for the first three or four years they can get through and be relatively unscathed, and these buy-ins and buy-outs and the structure that they have in place works, and at some point in time, they reach a roadblock. And one of two things happens, new partners are are really turned off by the fact that they're having to come up with this large sum of capital in order to be buying into the real estate entity, or the groups really struggling to get partners to be able to buy out. And really, they go through the same process again, where they, they will go and look at the operating agreement and adjust it. In, in the best way that they can. And sometimes they, they do groups do a great job in doing that, but we really wanted to look at a process that actually uh, looks at the probability of issues occurring and for, for groups, dependent on the structure that they have in place, um, when the, these issues are likely to occur based off of the, the probability of buy-ins and buy-outs occurring and what will be the severity of the issue Um, of these problems occurring and and typically we see groups that have a large real estate value relative to each physician are going to be the ones that are really prone to this because they're going to see a bigger buildup of equity more quickly and there are some ways, there are some methods that we found by by using this this program that can really help groups mitigate uh, these issues and Make them occur less frequently, and I really don't think it's an issue that you're going to completely avoid. But as long as groups understand the different risks that they have and when those risks are are likely to occur, they can really apply some sound financial planning to be able to deal with them and be ready to deal with them when they do occur.
0: So, James, what what are a couple of the factors that that you look at when you're inputting the data into that? program age of some of the owners uh you know value of the building or give me a sense of some of the factors you're looking at
1: So yeah age of the the owners is very important we we try and put as much information in as possible i think there's something along the lines of 37 different variables that we try and model for um the the pace with which the debt is repaid can often be an important one because that can create a trigger event Um, a little bit earlier. We also try and identify what market the group is in and and what that really tells us is what what are the chances of new physician partners um, joining that market. If if you're in a growing uh, geographic area, then I think it's a little bit easier from the recruiting side, and that generally tends to mitigate some of the issues that you're gonna see on the real estate buy-in and buy-out side because you've got more partners coming in than you perhaps do on the way out. For stagnant um, or more stagnant markets, it can be more of an issue because you may be on the other end of the scale where the size of your practice may be reducing ever so slightly and suddenly you're trying to fund buyouts when there's no capital coming into the entity.
0: Interesting. It sounds like it's a a very um, novel approach to um, uh, an issue that comes up quite a bit in in real estate holding companies involving physicians. So um, one item we've alluded to already is it can be challenging for newer physicians to buy in. Uh, You talked about, you know, how much I think roughly capital a a physician may need to bring to the table, whether that's, you know, 20% of of the value of the buy-in. Talk about maybe some strategies that younger physicians should think about when they're trying to buy into a real estate partnership or company. And um, sometimes it's easy for them to get loans from a bank to buy in. Sometimes it's not. What, What are your tips you would give to, a younger physician looking at an opportunity like to buy into their real estate um, entity.
1: So, so sometimes I think younger physicians will become turned off by the, the value of the buy-in without understanding the, the true investment of that buy-in. If I, if I enter in with, with a a $500,000, for example, that, that is really there to provide me a return on investment which i think needs to be explained first and foremost even even that being said i think it's important for those younger physicians to continue having conversations with the the leadership to see whether the there is a structure that really suits uh, that particular group and we see a few different models that, that groups use. and I certainly don't think it's a one-size fits all. and I certainly don't think that there's a perfect answer when it comes into, uh, when it comes to buy-ins and buyouts. But there are certainly different methodologies that groups use that can be uh, desirable in certain circumstances. For example, there, there is a model uh, that's quite widely used that uh, really bifurcates, um, the the ownership with with two levels, one would be a, a voting share and the other would be an investment share uh, in a class A and a class B model, for example, that can be uh, something that uh, is of interest for certain groups. I think that the the kind of downside to that is that it doesn't necessarily fix anything on the buyout side, um, which can be equally uh, as, as problematic, especially if you've got some physicians that are investing more heavily, they're usually going to be the ones that are closer to retirement and therefore going to have a larger amount um, of buyout that's going to be required at the time that they do retire. Um, But it certainly can help with attracting new partners to be able to get in. We also see um, certain models that look at vesting the uh, real estate ownership over time and they may have a very minimal Uh, requirement for the buy-in to start off with but the investment really increases as the physician partner contributes more time with the practice paying rents and therefore their their ability to to be in the real estate um one one thing that we certainly see a lot of groups doing is going through cyclical uh kind of a recoup of their investment and one thing that I think a lot of the time it is missed when we're looking at these real estate investments is although the, the, the real estate investment may have been 80% loan to value at the time that it started, when a new physician is buying in, their return on investment is going to likely be reduced as that time goes on because they're having to put more capital in for a very similar uh, distribution that they would, they would be receiving. So a lot of the times we like to say to groups, well, if you if you have new partners that are coming in and they were investing in this uh, building today and you weren't occupying that this building at the moment, would they come up with 50% of the value of the building to, to put into it? And the answer usually is, is no, they would probably use more of the bank's money in order to improve their returns and essentially risk less of their own money. So sometimes just Framing in in that narrative makes groups realize that they need to do something in order to assist these new partners, so that they can make it achievable and they can make the uh, investment desirable.
0: All good points. Let's uh, let's switch gears. We when when you and I have spoken before, we we talked about the fact that the healthcare real estate market is uh, r- really hot right now. Uh, A number of uh, investment groups and developers are out there pitching physicians to build new buildings. And uh, the developers, in some cases, will want to own 100% of the the ownership interest in the real estate. In some cases, these developers and investors will offer uh, the physicians the right to buy in. Uh, I've seen a lot of different opportunities being pitched right now. Uh, Sometimes the physicians feel like they need to give uh, the developers an ownership stake in the project. Uh, Maybe you could give us an overview of um, some of the pros and cons of um, whether or not physicians that partner with the developer, maybe what should they consider, in other words.
1: And Andrew, I think this is a great question, and we see it a lot with independent physician groups. And I think one of the important things to address to start off with is that there is, a, there is often a difference between development and investment within a, a medical office building. And they're often conflated um, when groups go out and they decide that they wanna be involved in new construction. And I think that there are certainly times where it can be beneficial to provide um, developers a, a piece of the pie. Um, but it should be looked upon as a really a, a separate issue from going out and, and the, the developer developing the building and more as an equity partner that's going to provide something throughout the life of the lease when you're in the building. Um, we see that that sometimes groups uh, find it advantageous if the developer is able to share in some of the guarantee risk um, at the start of the, the project and if they are struggling with equity capital shortfalls and they need a contributor then they may uh, lean upon the developer in order to provide that shortfall and assist in their capital stack. Um, I would say that more often than not along the real estate investment there becomes conflicts of interest between developers and independent physician groups because Simply, their, their objectives are, are not aligned. And I think that there are some great developers that become good partners um, with with groups, um, but that's, that's not always the case. First and foremost, I think it's important for groups to identify who's got control of the asset. And if you're getting involved with a, a developer and losing control of that asset and losing control of the lease that's in place, that... That may seem fine at the time that you're starting the development, but can be something that is not desirable at all and can leave a group hamstrung uh, once the building is up. And really, the developer's value diminishes because the the value derived from these buildings is really concentrated in that lease that's in place because it's an income generating asset. Uh, I think that that really leads to a misalignment of the the value and compensation uh, as as time goes on. And we work with many groups that have perhaps got involved with a developer for one of these reasons where they've also become a, an equity partner, but they found that three or four years into the project, they're looking for ways to be able to exit uh, that developer's share or buy that developer out. And they almost always are having to do so at a premium uh, and they are still able to, uh, get some good returns on the building by by capitalizing on one hundred percent of that control. but but more often than not, their their comment to us was, well, I wish we didn't give so much of it away at the start and were a little bit more thoughtful um as to what this would look like after the construction was completed.
0: okay, james, let's let's uh, talk about the capital markets. Uh, that's really one of the areas that that cmac has a lot of experience in. Uh, when when physicians are going to seek um, whether it's debt or equity financing for a real estate transaction, uh, talk about what you're seeing in the markets right now. Is it a, a good time to to, to seek out um, capital? Um, talk about what's going on in the market.
1: For sure. And my overarching comment was it's been a little bit choppy, but it's starting to settle. Um, as everybody understands the implications of COVID a little bit more and banks are able to predict what the the next six, 12 months is going to look like. We saw, it was kind of interesting at the onset of COVID, we, we were seeing just before it some very aggressive pricing um, and spreads. And most of the transactions that we complete, the bank is providing a, a spread over libel. And what we saw as COVID hit was that banks started to widen their spreads um, a little bit over kind of between the 50 to 70 basis points mark. And we, we were in continuous conversations with the lenders trying to find out exactly what was going on and why. And they were really uh, explaining to us that some of the indexes from which they were previously pricing on were no longer reflective of their cost of funds, so they were seeing that it was costing them more to be able to to borrow the money to provide it to uh, f- for these loans than was reflected in liable, which was usually a a pretty good um, index to be able to to measure their cost for providing that capital. What we've seen since is those spreads have started to come down. I would say that they're still not at the same levels that they were pre-COVID. And certainly banks have become more selective with the opportunities that they're going after. We still have a couple of large national banks that are having real difficulty being able to bid on new uh, transactions and uh, some banks that are finding it difficult to bid on new construction projects. Um, In general, I'd say that we're seeing most coming back to some level of normality. And because uh, there's, there's been so much inter- intervention with the Fed and rates are so low right now, even though the spreads are a little bit wider than what we saw before COVID, there are still some great opportunities to really capitalize on low fixed interest rates because the underlying market and the indexes from which these loans are priced upon are, are really low and therefore uh, there's really aggressive rates available.
0: So, um, yeah, it sounds like maybe, maybe things are starting to smooth out a little bit, but, uh, we have a ways to go in terms of, um, the capital markets leveling out. Uh, where do you think the healthcare real estate industry is going in the future? Uh, Do you think, uh, um, we're going to continue to see growth and opportunities It it truly seems like it, but, but would welcome your thoughts.
1: I think that it has again proved its resilience and certainly if you look at look at it and compare it against other real estate assets like retail and hospitality it certainly uh, stood well above those in terms of its performance over the last few months. I think that it is really going to be based on the underlying performance of the healthcare industry in general which most people I think expect to remain uh, pretty strong and certainly in terms of values um, of of these assets we're seeing uh, actually capital move towards the space which almost uh, uh, is counterintuitive considering that real estate in general uh, has not been as competitive over the last few months but because certain investors and real estate investment trusts are moving away from what are deemed to be more risky Uh, investments and moving that capital into uh, towards the healthcare space, which is deemed as more of a safe haven. We've seen um, on the buyer and broker side, some really aggressive proposals come out in recent weeks.
0: Good to hear. Uh, Where do you see the most opportunities for physicians interested in investing in real estate? I know that it, CMac, you're focused on physicians often investing in uh, the real estate associated with their practice. Um, are there any other opportunities out there that you're working with groups on, or what advice would you have when a physician's interested in investing in real estate?
1: We see uh, a lot of specialty um specialty groups that can create real estate investments that uh, really complement the underlying practice. And I think those are the ones that we like to uh, recommend for for groups. If it's something where they may be able to, if they're an orthopedic group and they're able to invest in physical therapy on site, for example, that can be something that's really advantageous. Uh, when, uh, when, when physicians uh, and investment strays into the uh, into other areas where there is a different uh, risk uh, profile for for the investment. I think it really comes down to understanding the balance between risk and returns. And you can often get into desirable real estate investments that are going to yield a high return, maybe as high as the, the uh, medical real estate that um, you're, you're investing in with the practice. But it's not likely to carry the the same level of risk, and that's an important thing to, for for physicians investing to be aware of.
0: I think that's a good point because when uh, your practice is the tenant, and uh, so long as you're practicing within the space, um, the risk pro profile should be quite a bit lower for your the real estate that uh, your practice is using. So, um, good advice. Uh, James, what would you tell someone who's trying to get into the healthcare real estate business? What what advice would you have for someone who's new new to the industry? And how can they they learn more and grow in the industry? Uh,
1: I would say, especially for uh, independent physician groups, there's a great resource called the Congress of Physici- Physician-Owned Medical Properties that was started a few years ago and really was uh, put into place because there are so many groups that that really don't have the oppor- opportunity to discuss with each other what works and what doesn't work when it comes to their real estate. Many of these groups are sitting with assets of 40, 50 million plus, and it be- can become extremely important for them to be structured in a way that increases their success in the long run. Um, so I would say that that is certainly one resource that I would tap into if I'm a new uh physician partner and 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 uh, an executive that's new in the space um, for sure
0: james as we wrap up here where can our audience learn more about you and cmac partners Uh,
1: i think probably the the best place is to visit our website which is um, www.cmacpartners.com we are pretty much always available um, to, to speak and answer questions that groups have and we're happy to do so and I, I really like to think of us as a group that uh, wants to help the industry become stronger and we understand that uh, our, our role uh, or, or our, our success is not going to be anywhere near as good if the uh, industry doesn't succeed with us. So if there are, is any opportunity for us to um, put groups in touch with uh, industry experts like like Horrenda and yourselves that really specialize in this space and can really offer um, some value, then I think that we, we love doing that. Um, so be, we would be happy for anybody to reach out.
0: Great. James, thanks for joining us today. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks to our audience for listening to the podcast on your Apple or Android device. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave feedback for us. We also publish a newsletter called the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor. To be added to the list, please email me at adick at com.